Welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast. My name is Gwen Reyes. And I'm Danielle Jackson-Dresser. This is a podcast where we talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to. It's time to make it work. From the red carpet to the silver screen, great outfits can make or break media we consume. We also have an interview with historical romance author Mimi Matthews about her fashion-forward new book, The Siren of Sussex. We also go over our goals from last episode, set new ones, and share what's been bringing us comfort lately. Yeah. Well, Danielle, it's a brand new year for us. Yeah. Welcome to 2022. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) How are you feeling this week? This week, I am feeling slightly anxious. So (laughs) when we're recording this, (laughs) it is the day before my kid is supposed to go back to school. Yeah. And it's just... Where we live in the western suburbs of Chicago, it is very dense with COVID. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it just, it it is. And I mean, really, Illinois is just having, the Midwest, I should even say, is just in the midst of it. It's wild. Like, we don't go anywhere. Like, it's just, it is what it is. Um, So, yeah. So, I am a little anxious. However, I am still basking in the fact that And I think I can say this for most people at Fresh Fiction, we all really tried hard, Mm -hmm. specifically the week between Christmas and New Year's, we all just like disconnected, which was great. Like, obviously some things like we, you know, we had to check in and, you know, we had make sure things like contests and things were running, but I feel like we all did a pretty good job taking some time and chilling out. And so I am still like feeling that, like I am still feeling like slightly refreshed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was really nice to like take that time. And, you know, and I, and we mentioned on the last one, like we both did some traveling to see family. And then I was working on my book revisions and things like that. So yeah, so that's how, but yeah, I feel really good. So I feel good about all of that. Not sure what's going to happen in the next week. Oh my gosh. I've been thinking like all oh, last week because with the Chicago schools shutting down too, yeah, I was just yeah. like, oh my God. And yeah, yeah that's yeah. too much stress for you guys. Yes, it is. But it's, it's going to be okay. We've been giving each other pep talks. We're going to make it through. It's going to be fine. Absolutely. We're going to be gonna flexible. Be... Yes. Yep. yep. How about you? How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. I took, I, uh, I took my first flight in two years to Texas to visit my parents. And it was like, I was, it was funny. I was working my, I mean, we talked about it, but it was like, I was working myself up about it the entire like weeks leading into Mm -hmm. it. It was just so much you can't control when you're going and flying and, and trusting that the people you're flying with are doing what they're supposed to do, following all the rules and everything. But I felt incredibly safe. I felt like the airline I flew really understood what they were doing and the airports were respectful, like, especially on the Washington to Dallas. So like from the Seattle side was great. Texas was a little bit different, but Texas is its own (laughs) wild, wild West. Texas is always (laughs) a little bit different, different. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it was just really, I I'm really glad I did it. I'm glad I ripped off the bandaid. I feel I'm definitely not out here saying I'm going to go fly like as regularly as I was before, but definitely more open to traveling mm-hmm. in 2022 because of this. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like, cause I, I did travel last June in like that weird little safe blip we had mm-hmm. that lasted yeah. literally like the week I was gone. Yep. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but even, but yeah, traveling over the holidays, knowing it was going to be so busy, I really did feel like airports and the people working in airports and for airlines, I mean, are taking this as seriously yeah. as possible and are really 
doing a great job. I don't know what else to say, like how else to like say that because they, they really, I really, I did feel safe. I did not feel like threatened in any way or Mm -hmm. at risk even, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, but we, we, I mean, we came home and we definitely did not go anywhere. Like we were just like, let's just like be safe about it and just try to isolate. And thankfully none of us had symptoms or anything like that. So we, hopefully we, we are still in the clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what I'm doing for the next two yeah. weeks is I'm like, I'm just gonna stay away from people for two weeks and it'll be fine. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so what is one good thing you've achieved this week? So, uh, right before I left for my trip to Texas, I was given some not great news from my doctor about mm. my cholesterol being a little high. I oh, feel no. like, I feel like going and getting a physical in the middle of the holidays was probably where I, my yes. first wrong step. Cause mm-hmm. my blood is just made of gravy at this point. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and then I go to Texas and it becomes body by queso. So I'm now yeah. trying to incorporate more veggies into my meals. Um, that has been my achievement all week. I've been like, just kind of adding whatever random raw vegetable, carrot, celery, bananas, I know, mm-hmm. but just like yeah. trying to add something in that's not just cheese. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you got to counter the cheese with something. You got to counter the cheese with it. And, and not bread. It needs to be something. Else. Yeah, exactly. It needs to be at least one leafy vegetable. <laughs> just one leaf. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. What about you? How, what have you so Similarly, you know, what's interesting is like, I get all of my doctor's appointments in like November and December, and it's not the right time. No. I need to change this. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it until they were like, we're doing blood work. And I was like, but I ate a steak yesterday. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So speaking of like, not the best news, this is a lot for me personally, this is a long time coming, but it, and it runs in my family, but like everyone, no matter if they are healthy or unhealthy or whatever has high blood pressure. So like I now officially have have hypertension, like thanks mom and dad and all Mm -hmm. of our ancestors, you know, I mean, we can get into like inherited trauma because that's where it comes from, Uh you know, but (laughs) um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm, so I started taking a medication for that, but I did, I went to my endocrinologist because I don't have a thyroid anymore. um, And that's been that way for a few years, but you know, and then I went to the regular doctor, I made an eye doctor appointment. I'm going to the dentist in a couple of weeks. Like I'm just getting it all done. And like for the first time in a long time, it just feels like, oh no, this is like a grown up thing. I think Mm -hmm. like, and it's like, oh, I'm doing this. I feel accomplished. Like, so I just remember growing up being like, oh my God, my parents are at the doctor all the time. And Mm -hmm. now I am at the doctor all the time. And you know what? It's fine. It's, it is what it is. And I just specifically with the whole hypertension thing, like I'm not in any danger. Like I know it it is kind of, it is a scary diagnosis because it is one of those things that's considered an underlying condition. Um, but the fact that I'm taking care of it now and not waiting for it to be like this terrible, horrible thing, um, is the important thing. And I was like, what my doctor has been telling me, my mom, I've mentioned my mom is a nurse. Like she's a vascular nurse. Like this is what she (laughs) did for her entire career basically. Um, so yeah, so I feel good. And, you know, and, and also my doctor was like, yeah, it's genetic. It's clearly genetic. Like it's just in your family history. Um, and it's something to be aware of, but yeah. So yeah, I'm proud of us for like doing these, these little healthy things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. We're going to be around a lot longer to annoy our yeah, family. <laughs> definitely. Oh my God. Love yeah. it. I love it too. Okay. Switching gears completely. Mm-hmm. 
let's talk about fashion. So per usual, this is like a very direct correlation to our interview with Mimi Matthews. Um, the Siren of Sussex basically deals with the, the hero of the book. He is a tailor at a London, you know, so it really it's a menswear shop, but he also makes dresses as well. Um, and then the heroine is this woman from, from Sussex in the country coming to London to try to make a name for herself and make a good match. And she wants to have, she wants to just have a, a fabulous, fashionable kind of debut. She's in her, I think she's like in her early twenties, which is wildly on the shelf. She's kind of a spinster yeah. getting a little bit of a late start, but she needs these outfits to really make a splash. And um, so, yeah, so we were like, well, obviously we're going to talk about fashion. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I guess, so a couple of my intro questions are, do you think you have a sense of style? Oh man. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I do. I think my sense of style is like slightly like Robin hood pant situation with a, with like a blouse. Like that's, that's, yeah. my, that's my fashion sense. <laughs> Robin hood pants. Robin hood pants. <laughs> Like, like a looking bridge. I don't know. I right now I'm into, we're living in Seattle. So I'm into grunge. So I'm like, I'm going to wear rolled up pants and, and Doc Martens and yeah. that sort of thing. But I'm not like a fashionable person. What about you? What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I was like, do I have, like, do I, am I preppy? Am I not preppy? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think we're well-dressed. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think we know how to dress appropriately mm-hmm. <laughs> for like various occasions. Exactly. But yeah, I don't know if I have like a specific set of stuff, like a, like a, I was trying, am I preppy? Am I boho? No, like I'm not any of those things. No. Yeah, I don't exactly. know. Do you think you're sent like, but even, even it's like, you still have a sense of style, even if you don't have like, yeah, fall under one of those like descriptors, but do you think your style has changed over the years? Yes. I definitely think that my style has changed. Cause like I used to love, I think I still love a, like a baggy shirt and a mm-hmm. pant. Like that'll still always be sort of the thing I gravitate toward, but it's mm-hmm. like, those things have become nicer. Like I want like much bigger, bulkier sweaters because they Mm -hmm. just look more fashionable. And I also think they look timeless. Like years ago, I would have bought everything that's trendy and thought that was going to last forever. But now it's like solids or very traditional or classic prints that Mm -hmm. uh, you can just kind of play with a lot. Yeah. I think that's, I also just love bright colors and prints in general. Yeah, I agree. I think so. I think, I think, you know, yeah. Like I just remember when my daughter started wearing not like baby clothes, like when we started shopping in the kids section mm-hmm. and just looking at it. And I was like, Oh God, if I was a kid right now, I would just be in like head to toe, like neon leopard print, yeah, you know, like striped pants, you know, just like, there's so much that's going on. <laughs> so extra. <laughs> and I just, and yeah. And I, I think of that too. And that, but I think like, And not that like my parent, my mom in particular, but like, not that my parents are like, you can't wear that, but they definitely were like, rein it in, you know, they would be like, yeah, yeah, like, come like figure this out. And Mm -hmm. probably when I was, especially when I was a teenager, I was probably like, whatever, but I'm actually grateful because like, when I do look at like pictures of myself, I'm like, okay, that's not embarrassing. I don't look ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think my style has changed. Like I agree. I think, and I think it comes with 
like two things, like one, just getting older, but then also two, like having kind of the socioeconomic means to spend a little bit more on things or even like in the pandemic, it's like, I think, you know, this is definitely like speaking from a place of privilege, but it's like to be able to order like two or three things. Yeah. And then, I mean, and not that returning is great, but knowing you can return Mm -hmm. like things too, you know, like, especially if you're between sizes or you're just not quite sure about something Mm -hmm. and definitely during the pandemic, I've, I've taken advantage of that. So, um, I don't know the last time I was in a fitting room. Yeah. Same. Because I definitely haven't been in one mask on. Yeah. No, not going to do it either. So no, Uh -uh. No, I'll just take it home with me. And then if it doesn't fit, I'll take it back to the store. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, are, do you think you're influenced by fashion in the media? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Like, cause I'll watch something like right now I'll talk about a little bit later, but I'm watching Mm -hmm. a show that's set in both 1996 and 2000, uh, or 2020. And it, uh, I like want all the outfits of the people in the 1990s. Like I'm just so influenced by like right now, nostalgia in general, but just, yeah. I, I want whatever I see on a screen I want in real life. I'm still like yeah. a, a kid about things like that. Yeah. What about oh man, you? though, if, if I see like who, what, where telling me that low rise jeans are coming back, like again, I'm just like, no, yeah. like it, delete. Yeah. It's <laughs> the low rise jean or the high rise bell bottom flare pant. I'm like, these are horrible. No, they don't look good on anyone. No, no. Like, you have to be, you have to just be like a tiny little person. <laughs> yeah. And even then they kind of look, costumey. Yep. So mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I agree. No, I agree though. I, I think the nostalgia thing is so interesting because I feel like when, like the first time around when bell bottoms kind of came back, that was like a reaction to the nostalgia of the seventies. Yeah. And so now it's a nostalgia for the nineties, but it's also the seventies, the seventies, yeah. The 70s yeah. from a nineties lens, I guess yep. it's very interesting um, to see how things are kind of full or like, kind of like the boho, like the big, like yeah, bell sleeves and everything. Like, yeah, it is really interesting. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say I'm definitely influenced by fashion because I'll see someone who has like a similar body type mm-hmm. or a similar, even just a similar sense of style. And then when they wear something that I'm just like, I would never wear that, but it looks cool. Maybe I need to think about this in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I, you have to be influenced by fashion, even if it's just like, oh, that that looks pretty or that looks interesting. Even mm-hmm. I think is kind of the more for lack of a better word, the more interesting way to look at fashion is like when something is different and is still attractive, but maybe it isn't pretty, but it's still like, oh, but I like that, you know, even if it is kind of like not the most flattering shape, but it still looks awesome. It looks good on that person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like fashion has done such a great job in the last, like, I mean, five years, I would say of Mm -hmm. actually having more representation and more like different varying body styles and body sizes. So people can mm-hmm. see themselves reflected in that way and actually be able to model what they might be able to look like in that outfit. Yeah, I agree. hundred mm-hmm. percent. All right. Let's move into some recs. Yeah. Cause we have a lot. I love that you have book recs and I don't have any. I was, I thought that was interesting. I was like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. So let's, I'm trying to see, we have 
I think we could, we could probably just alternate. Yeah. 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 I have and like I can, one and a couple of ours overlap. So I, I say, yeah, work out for, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's alternate. So you start. Okay. So, <laughs> um, for me, it was going back to the, like the roots of fashion in media and television. And like, uh, I always think of Carrie Bradshaw. I yeah. always think of the sex in the city girls. And right now I'm watching and just like that, um, the new series. So mm-hmm. uh, I had to pick Sex in the City. I think Carrie's Tutu is iconic and every yep. iteration of that show has had a new version mm-hmm. of the Tutu. Even if you go back to the Carrie Diaries back on CW. Yeah. Um, I just, I think that there's like silly moments of her being an actual fashion model, writing a little bit about fashion, but just in general, loving fashion and getting to see all of the designers that have been featured on that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, whether you liked the show or not, and probably mm-hmm. whether you knew it or not, that show was influencing everything. Everything. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Literally just like everything. Thinking of like the Carrie necklace and how mm-hmm. iconic that was for, for girls in like the turn of the 20th or the 21st yeah. century. Like, yeah, just those little markers that, that that show was able to do. And Patricia Field being the uh, the just the costume designer on that now she yeah. works for Emily in Paris but uh she's just iconic yeah she knows she knows what's up she does know what's um up. but you know what is also great I think about Patricia Field and I, I feel like I remember reading an interview with her is like she was like what is on television is like not what how people yeah. dress in real life like it Absolutely. is clearly for tv like mm-hmm. the fact that people walk around wearing exact replicas of some of the most outlandish outfits she put together she was like no that's not that's not what I'm doing (laughs) you're just you're supposed to see it you're supposed to be thrilled and that's it yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. and yeah but I 100% agree I yeah like I watched sex in the city and and yeah and it was always just like oh what are they gonna and it really was like what is she wearing what are what Mm -hmm. shoes are they gonna have what ridiculous thing are we wearing today yeah um so my first rec is the devil wears Prada the movie confession I have not read the book um (laughs) but the reason I pick it is before like literally two minutes of the movie where they have it has the best fashion montage that's ever happened in a movie Mm -hmm. um of just Anne Hathaway wearing absolutely unbelievable clothes and it was and it was just it was so well done and well executed because I just remember one like she was going to cross the street and she has to stop for a cab and the cab would go by and she'd have on a different outfit. And then she would like hand a bag over. And when whoever handed something back, she was in a different outfit. Like it was just, it was so good. And she looked amazing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm talking, we're talking so much about how people look, but we're talking about fashion. So I don't feel, I don't feel that bad. Yeah, no, <laughs> because, exactly. Yeah. This, is, this is the time for us to be a little superficial and talk yes. about that. Like, you know, it's about fashion. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the devil wears Prada and specifically, I'm going to see, I'll try to link to, I'm sure someone has just cut that specific scene. In addition to that opening montage, you also have the Miranda Priestly explaining yes. the, how a designer can come up with, with that blue, you know, with one thing that then trickles down mm-hmm. to the, the average consumer. Yeah. Like, like two like, years later. Yeah. yeah. I've always <laughs> loved, I love love, love, love that. So my next pick is, um, I, this movie is insane. I don't know if you've had a chance to see, have you seen the Phantom? Okay. Yeah. So my next one, the Phantom (laughs) thread, um, is I love this so much. It's an unnerving portrait of a fashion designer who is coming undone as he is trying to, uh, make a princess's wedding dress (laughs) in time for her wedding. 
Um, but then also is being a little sabotage, but also falling in love with the a woman who's been hired to kind of help him around the yeah. house, um, who's also maybe poisoning him because he likes it. Like it is just be- <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis's performance is wonderful. He mm-hmm. really like the dresses in that are so gorgeous. It's yeah. called Thomas Anderson. So like no expenses spared when it comes mm-hmm. to like capturing everything from beautiful angles and spending a lot of time on it. But I just love, I love any sort of story where you see creatives like buckling under their own pressure. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is like the perfect example of that. And then you have beautiful fashion. Yeah. I mean, what a weird movie. What a weird movie. <laughs> love it. So I think about the movie. I've only seen it once. I think about the movie probably every day. That's what I was gonna say. I don't think I've ever, I've watched, I watched it once and mm-hmm. that was it. And I don't need to see it again. But again, it lives rent-free in my mind. Yeah. I'm like, I can't Touch. look at a mushroom without thinking of that. Movie. Exactly. No. <laughs> oh my God. How weird. Now I'm weirded out. Totally different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Switching gears. My next pick is the Mindy Project, the TV yeah. show starring Mindy Kaling. I loved this show in general. Um specifically the earlier seasons when it made the switch to Hulu. I don't know. It kind of went off the rails, but I still watched it. Mm-hmm. But I, what I really love so much about the Mindy project is that it was so nice to see a woman of color and a woman of color with like a relatable body Bye. in really fashionable clothes, just yeah. beautiful, amazing outfits. Additionally uh, to that, I think we talked about this on our celebrity show from last year. Mindy Kaling is a really great Instagram follow because she like, she shows all her pictures from premieres and stuff, but then just in her day-to-day life, like she's very fashionable, you know, like I envy her sweater collection. Uh, It's really good. But I, I just, I remember, I think hearing an interview about someone talking like someone basically insinuated to her face that like she doesn't work out or she like doesn't have to take care of her body in the same way as other actresses or whatever and she was like no 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 like it's it's hard to maintain what is considered a normal body yep and I just I remember like hearing her say that and being like yeah no I like you mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're great she's definitely a person where I was like oh my in a million years I would never wear this or wear this like, like neon green. But now I'm like, maybe I need to rethink neon green. You would look beautiful in neon green or (laughs) like a chartreuse. Yeah. Like a chartreuse. Yeah. Yeah. That would be beautiful on you. I don't know. know. It's so loud, but (laughs) she made me think about it. So Mm -hmm. there we go. What's your next pick? So my next pick is a mini series on Netflix uh, starring Ewan McGregor called Halston based off Mm -hmm. of the iconic Halston designer. Um, It is, it's, it's kind of like the phantom thread it's not as creepy or weird but it's still sort of like unnerving and a little like dark in the storytelling um but I liked it because it it just gave me a lot longer of uh of exposure to Halston I didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. him I hadn't like I seen his clothes and stuff but I just I think you McGregor is such a great actor so similar to Daniel Day-Lewis like just watching a creative come undone and buckle under his own pressure is just delightful and you get eight episodes of it instead of three hours (laughs) Yeah, I have not checked that out. I I am now intrigued. Okay, so my next pick is a show that we are no stranger to. We've talked about it a million times, but it's Insecure. And one of the things, yeah, I know. I loved so much about Insecure is that you get to see young Black people. In fact, I'm going to like edit my own note, but it's like seeing young Black people in LA because I think LA has such a specific 
sense of style itself. Yep. But what I also really loved is that they were wearing almost exclusively, very specifically black designers. And I thought this show was really thoughtful with how each person's or each character's style was so their own. Mm-hmm. And so it reflected like their self-expression in such an amazing way through clothes, which I think a lot of people do whether they know they are or not. Yeah. <laughs> it was so refreshing and it felt really authentic, you know, except it's like, but also like, could they all be really affording these clothes? Like Molly no. definitely could. She's a lawyer, but like mm-hmm. everyone else, like, I don't know. It's like, it's going to be such a great time capsule of the time when this show was on the air and the designers working, especially and especially like underground designers that did not get like the mainstream attention that they definitely deserve, yeah. but they got it on Insecure. And I think Issa Rae and her whole team, like they knew what they were doing when it came to Absolutely. that. And so, I think yeah. that that show, um, even though the, the, the costumes are such like part of the character and everything, I mm-hmm. think that they're subtle enough that mm-hmm. they're going to remain classic. So yeah. like when you do go back to, to your point about being a time capsule, when we do go back and rewatch it in like five or six years, like mm-hmm. we're going to feel one that that's very much like a, a 2000, like that time period, but it looks so, so cool. So cool. And so <laughs> classic that it like, yeah. Oh, it could have been early two thousands. It could be 2030. Like it yeah. could really be anything. Cause it's not super over the top, but it is like enough of their personality in there to make it a little bit of um, time yeah. sensitive and that way. Totally. And like, shout out to the people. Cause I'm definitely that person that's like, what is the sweater that Molly was wearing on episode <laughs> seven of season yes. four? And I'm that person that does that. And there are people who know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they talk about it on online. So thank you to all of you who do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next pick we both kind of yes. have that make, it makes sense, but it is, it's, it's historical fashion, but it's also anachronistic. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So it's anachronistic fashion on these like historical shows that are historical, but they feel like they're present day. Uh Um, so we both put rain, um, the show about Mary queen of Scots that came on the CW a few years ago. The thing that I love about the early seasons of rain is that they were like straight up prom Prom dresses. dresses. They were nowhere near Mm -hmm. being historically accurate. Yeah. And they were like, they clearly got yelled at because the later seasons did get a little bit better. But I mean, if there was like a splashy, like grand ball or big dinner or wedding, it was like something off, not even off the runway. Like they were literally They were coming from like the mall. They were like Macy's prom dress. They were Macy's prom dress. (laughs) Like maybe, maybe Mary got to wear like a Jessica McClintock, maybe, Yes, you know, but like everybody else was wearing Dillard specials. Yeah. Um, and I love it. I, I love it I so much. I didn't even mind. I was like, it looks no. pretty. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So what are some, uh, what's another. So another, another one I picked choice? just, uh, I also picked the great, uh, which yeah. is on Hulu. Second season is currently available. And that one is about uh, not Mary Queen of Scots, but Catherine the Great. Yeah. Um, Russian, beautiful costumes, crazy, mm-hmm. crazy things. But again, some of them is a, some of the pieces are a little modern, uh, mm-hmm. but so is like the dialogue, but uh, yeah. yeah, just the modernness <laughs> of it all. Not as much prime prom dressiness, but definitely things where you're like, would that have been in that yeah. time period? Or is that more right. like 1900s? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I also want to mention Bridgerton because Bridgerton, I think exists in this weird little section of 
particularly like fashion media is like the costumes are not necessarily historically inaccurate but the like the color choices are a little different like than what would have actually been available at the time um and yeah but like I think I but I I just remember you know in fact I I'll link to this we on the boozy book rods um this over the past weekend we interviewed Marie Maureen Lee Lanker of EW and she was talking about how Bridgerton hit at like the right moment because Mm -hmm. like we were in the midst of the pandemic. Like mm-hmm. everyone was like, had stayed home for Christmas that year and Bridgerton dropped. And it was like this bright over the top, sexy show that we all just wanted to look at because we were like, everything is so drab. Everything yeah. is so sad right now. We need something else. And I completely agree. Like, I think it hit at the right time, but then I think the fashion really, I think changed the game of like when you think of like a regency time like the regency time or a move like you think of like a Jane Austen adaptation yeah everyone was wearing like white gown or like white dresses or their and their gowns were like barely gowns it felt like you know they weren't the big sweeping gowns and that that is historically accurate you know they weren't like the big bell skirts or anything quite yet um so or that had kind of gone out of fashion so so yeah, I think Bridgerton is really interesting. I love what some people are doing like in the costuming community, particularly like the Regency costuming community, like recreating some of the looks mm-hmm. are really cool. So yeah, that's really awesome. And then I also want to talk about the Marie Antoinette biopic um, by yes. Sofia Coppola that came out in the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> that was, you know, those, a lot of those costumes were accurate. Like they were almost exact replicas, but then you would, you would have kind of a montage scene and there would be like a pair of pink converse, like in yeah. the corner or, you know, and then in some of her dresses were kind of updated. There were like, the, there was like a black dress she wore that was like it literally like walked off the runway and like onto the set of the movie. Like mm-hmm. it's just what happened. Um, and the, you know, and the, and the over to the top hairstyles and all of that stuff was really fun. My last items are books actually, just to throw us all for a little loop. So I picked two fashion <laughs> memoirs. Um, one is Bill Cunningham, who is a fashion photographer, who was a fashion photographer. He passed away a few years ago. He's also a subject of a documentary that you can watch on Netflix. And I think also on Amazon, and I, he would do streetwear, he would, or street fashion. He did actual runway fashion. He just kind of did a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And I found the documentary specifically just so enlightening and so interesting. And then my other pick is Grace Coddington, her yeah. memoir, Grace. She's, I always think of her as like the female Stanley Tucci character from <laughs> Devil Wears Prada, but like wild, crazy red hair. Yeah. Um, she was Aunt, she's Anna Wintour's right-hand lady. She's been there since day one and helps building Vogue and uh, working the creative, uh, the creative side of that. And um, I just, I think she's such a wild character. So yeah. it's fun to um, just see her. And I think she also has a documentary that you can watch about her as well. I think it's also called Grace. Yeah, no. And you know what? I just thought of another book from a couple, four years ago, Iris Apfel. Yes. Her book, Accidental Icon came out and that was just, it was really interesting. Um, Yeah. And she's just like, I mean, it's like, if you Google her, you'll know, like she's these big, huge, like circle Mm -hmm. glasses and she just has the most wild style. She's amazing. And, and she's, and I believe she's still alive. Like, I think she's literally a hundred years old and, um, yeah, has definitely seen some things. Okay, I just have a couple of more, a couple more. 
One, I, okay. So I'm, I'm going to talk about house of Gucci. I have not seen it. Thanks Omicron. I really wanted to see it in advance because we knew we were talking about fashion. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, now I have a reason to go see house of Gucci, but I was like, I'm not going to a movie theater. Um, (laughs) so I haven't seen it, but I have like poured over all of the photos specifically of lady Gaga on this movie. Um, because she looks amazing. She looks Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. She's wearing Gucci. Like what else do we want? And then, but then the the premieres of these, like for the movie were also amazing. Like just between, I think it was almost like who can out fashion the other between Lady Gaga and Jared Leto. Like they both were doing (laughs) the absolute most that they could. Um, So yeah, I highly recommend like looking into like the premieres and press junkets. Oh, we should say former guest Susan, who came on and did our most anticipated fall Mm -hmm. releases, got to interview Lady Gaga and did an awesome interview. And I will make a note to link to Susan's. Yep. Susan's interview because it was so good. (laughs) And then my final, my final recommendation is Project Runway. I don't think we could talk about Mm -mm. any fashion on in the media without talking about Project Runway and how that just kind of changed the game, I think, for people paying attention, like even to like Fashion Week. Like I didn't know what Fashion Week was, I don't think, until I watched Project Runway. Yeah. And realized it was this big of a deal. So yeah, so great. I love, you know, like a lot of the designers have gone on to be successful in their own ways, but I think, you know, Christian Siriano is probably the most Uh, famous winner and just personality from Project Runway. And of course it's like full circle because now he's back on Project Runway as the mentor. Thanks Project Runway for Tim Gunn because he's the best. We're so blessed (laughs) to have Tim Gunn in our life. (laughs) Not as blessed to have Heidi Klum. We can get rid of her. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I will take Heidi over Carly. So let me. Yeah, right. Heidi Heidi Klum definitely had the hosting chops. Carly is pretty good, but yeah, I agree. I think Heidi Klum is like the Project Runway mm-hmm. host. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. All right. Well, we're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, you'll hear our interview with Mimi Matthews. Welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast, Mimi. We are so happy to have you here. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. So excited. Obviously, we're going to talk about your new book, The Siren of Sussex, but I want to take kind of a step back and do something a little more broad because when I was kind of looking through stuff, getting prepared for this interview, something I noticed that a lot of readers and reviewers say about all of your books is how meticulous you are when it comes to your research. So I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through your research process when you're starting something new? Sure. Um, You know, usually it's the research that sort of sparks the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to write a lot more history articles for my author blog that were really popular for a while. I guess they still are, but I just haven't, I'm not very prolific. (laughs) It takes me (laughs) a long time to write stuff. Um, And I would see some random thing. And there's a lot of stuff in the, in Victorian history that is unintentionally hilarious. You know, (laughs) things that uh, happened that are just so out there, especially if you're looking at it as a modern woman, you just think, oh my Lord, this is ridiculous, but it's amusing in that way. And so usually it's something like that, that will spark an idea. Um, 
like I'll give you an example and this isn't mm -hmm. off of a book I've written yet but I was searching um, a long time ago for an article I was writing and I can't even remember the topic it must have been Victorian sewing plain and fancy work and mm -hmm. I found these crochet patterns for little dog muzzles to crochet a little muzzle <laughs> for your dog <laughs> That's so and cool. that, yeah that is stuck in my head so long because I thought can you imagine a Victorian lady? This was her little project. And, you know, crochet is not that strong. So what dog was wearing this muzzle? Mm -hmm. And I've right. always had in my mind that a guy, a, a gentleman with a badly behaved little dog, and that maybe that's the way the lady sort of makes her move as she sends him this little dog muzzle, not for her, his dog really to wear, but just sort of as a... Um, first you know a, a more um forward young lady who's yeah. trying to get his attention so that's been like stewing in my head for a while so usually that's all it takes is is some little thing like that and um it really gets me thinking of course sometimes it's things that are more serious I mean mm -hmm. um various injustices or um uh things like that which are a little heavier but um it's also the the humorous stuff too Yes, but so specifically in the Siren of Sussex, at this time in history, it's kind of soon after the death of Prince Albert, you know, Queen Victoria's beloved husband, you know, who she was madly in love with. And spiritualism has taken London by storm. So people are really looking for a way to communicate with the dead, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're trying to kind of figure this out. So did mm -hmm. you like, what's kind of your favorite little tidbit that you learned about with this kind of this trend, I'm making air quotes, trend in the UK? <laughs> I really liked the, the part about the child medium that everybody was really excited about yeah. because he really existed. Um, his last name was Lees, Robert James Lees. I hope I'm saying the right name. Um, just that he was young and that he, mm -hmm. his a familiar spirit, I guess you would call it, that he claimed was a Highlander and he would have a seance and he would yeah. speak in this voice with the heavy Scottish accent and claimed that he had messages from Prince Albert for the Queen. Wow. And that really stuck with me because it's interesting to think of how people of different classes could use supposed spiritual talents to ascend up the ladder, you know, to mm -hmm. interact with people that normally in the Victorian era, they wouldn't have done. And there was a cross-class element about it that I found just fascinating. People of all these different walks of life. Um, and it was, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it was the things I read about it when I was researching. There were some people who took it extremely seriously, but then you also had the feeling that it was almost not a parlor game, but mm -hmm. among some upper class ladies, this sort of more fun, um, fascinating, almost the way somebody would read a gothic novel, like, oh, mm -hmm. the ghosts and the table knocking and all that. Just very interesting. But I, it really rung out to me the, the class mobility it provided if, if they thought somebody from even from a different class was gifted in this way and it would allow them access to parts of society that there was really right. no other way to get access yeah. to. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Well, and in, in addition to like the ghosty uh, spiritual elements of this, we've also got fashion as a huge part of the storyline oh, in yes. the Siren of Sussex. Also, um, Ahmed is a tailor who wants to make a name for himself by dressing the most beautiful and influential women in society. And Evelyn needs to make sure her wardrobe attracts just the right kind of attention. Um, was there anything surprising you learned about fashion while you wrote the novel? 
You know, I've researched so much on fashion um, for nonfiction history articles, and I wrote a nonfiction book about fashion. So a lot of it I already knew, but the element that was really interesting to me was how in the story Ahmed, who, I mean, you're dealing with colonialism and you have all of these fabrics and just the way that he can sort of symbolically use these fabrics to create something that allows him to sort of reclaim them if that makes sense, um, mm-hmm. because to navigate, uh, without trying to get too heavy, to navigate that sort of inequality, and I get today we would say more like cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got all these fabrics that came from all of these places that they mm-hmm. would say, you know, these exotic locales that they've colonized, like India. And here is this half Indian tailor working with these fabrics. And so I felt that was sort of a powerful exercise that he could use the fabrics to create things that it allowed him to sort of reclaim that in a way, Um, which meant something to me um, Mm -hmm. because I'm half Indian Pakistani. So Mm -hmm. writing about anything where you navigate that walking in both worlds and how you cope with um, such a drastic inequality how yeah. you can manage to still be successful and love what you're doing, yeah. but still grapple with, with colonialism, mm-hmm. which um, is a rough, was a very rough period uh, in Victorian history. Um, and I don't feel that you could really, I don't feel you could write about that era without somehow acknowledging the reality of it and what yeah. it meant to people of color, you know, who are living in England mm-hmm. during that period. Absolutely. I think that that is so important, especially being able to infuse your own experience into that is so important for the reader too, because they only have sort of the whitewashed version that they've had previously right. to this, oh, right. you know, right. The exotic yeah. British Raj. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, I get the appeal of it um, as a reader, you know, growing up, that's what you, that's what you read or that's what you see in costume dramas yeah. but it unfortunately was a is a very one-sided view of um, what was actually happening um, at that time absolutely um, what's a, a Victorian fashion trend that you think should make a comeback you know I like corsets Ooh. I I think that corsetry was like an art and a really well-made corset um, that takes into account everything with your body could be mm-hmm. better than a really supportive bra. <laughs> I believe it. My opinion. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like it would almost be like combination, you know, um, just shapewear, back brace, and bra. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe corsets need to come back. But you know, with m- modern fabrics, so they're not heavy, but something like that. But I also really like um, long skirts and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can still wear anything like that. I think everything's sort of adaptable. Maybe not so much crinolines and bustles, but almost everything else um, in the era, it, you can yeah. adapt it for yeah, modern for use. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of funny. It's like, you know how they, the like the term cottage core, like I feel like they kind of, when I look at some of those dresses, because a lot of them have high necklines or like lots of little buttons. Like Like Edwardian style. Yeah, almost Edwardian. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I feel like I agree. Like you just got to go, you know, and go, go a little bit further (laughs) 
<laughs> with the Victorian, yeah. with the cinched, really cinched, a little, yeah, waist. a little bit exactly. tighter fit. Yeah, Gibson exactly. girl hair, like I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we talked. You started talking about this, but I want to dive deeper into the character of Ahmad, who, as you mentioned, is half Indian, half British. He's had a really hard upbringing, and it, but I, what I, one of the things I really loved about him, him as a character is he really wants to be taken seriously for his work, but he is constantly undermined by his employer, his patrons, and really their prejudices. You know, he, he, he has seen kind of both sides of, of, you know, having lived in India and then coming to the UK. Um, and, and it was just such an, like the more, the further you go in the book, it's like reveal, you know, you learn more about him and there's more to him than meets the eye, obviously. Um, and so I was wondering what you hope readers will take away from this story and, you know, and as they, they learn more about immigrants and, and their lives during this time. Probably just, gosh, so many things. I didn't intend, I didn't want to be preachy or anything mm -hmm. like that um but just his experience of being so talented but yet always having to strive harder and be better and you know the perceptions people had these preconceived notions about him you know what language he spoke what his religion was um the usual sort of exotic Kama Sutra expectation right. that some people had, oh, you must know all these things. Um, and the little tiny slights that today we would call them microaggressions. Mm -hmm. But in this, you know, they didn't know that then. Um, so just the little things like mispronouncing his name, um, even when they know, you know, he's told them how to pronounce it. Right. Um, just little slights like that and how harmful those can be. But also, I, I hope that it shows people, gives them a glimpse that it wasn't just a monolith of whiteness, that it was actually really diverse. And not just with people of Indian descent, there were lots of people in England at that time, you right. know, and, and it wasn't all they were poor, they were, you know, living, I mean, they had families, they had work, they had businesses. And the little tiny veneer of Victorian England that we're used to seeing um, in romances where it's all upper crust, which is, I mean, I'm not disparaging that. I love to read it too. Um, and I think that, ha that that it still has a lot to offer and is so enjoyable. But I think some people are, it gives them an impression that that's all there was, which is not true. Or that maybe because somebody was not... Um, of the nobility or of the gentry or somebody wasn't white, that maybe mm -hmm. their story is not as interesting or as dramatic or you, you know, I, I hope they can see that, that there's a richness to the story. Mm -hmm. I hope <laughs> we, we shall see. <laughs> <laughs> um, Evelyn is a blue stocking and wants to make sure that her, uh, make her way in the world, but also she's completely aware of the fact that she's got to get married to help take care of her family. Um, but as she falls for Ahmed, she's starting to decide what matters most to her. How do you think Evie grows through the story? I think that she has to really start to take charge of her own destiny mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without not totally disregarding her family, but maybe not going the general path of, I have to marry this type of man. He has to have this type of money that 
she starts to realize that being part of of that society may not be as important to her happiness as she thought it was going to be and that there are maybe other ways to achieve her ends just not the normal ways um where she could play to her own strengths as a horsewoman and um as just a businesswoman really with her putting her horse out to stud that yeah. these are things that normally you know a woman of her class wouldn't really be involved with but it gets to a point where i think she feels that respectability is great but to be happy and to achieve true happiness and for her and to take care of her family that there is another road that she hadn't realized existed before and by taking that road, you know, it's the road less traveled, but it makes her a, a lot happier in the end. Right. Yeah, for sure. So one question that we really love to ask specifically historical authors um, is what do you think the past tells us about our present and perhaps what can it tell us about the future? Hmm. Let me see. Firstly, I think that historical romance is still really relevant. I think the human stories sort of repeat through time. Um, and hopefully we learn a little bit over time, sometimes not. But you can really relate uh, even to historical stories. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you see, it's almost like a play that keeps repeating over and over again. And maybe you can't see it in your own present you don't have the distance, but if you see that sort of circumstance or that same sort of thing play out in the past, mm -hmm. in a story from the past, maybe you have the distance to be able to make the connection a little better sometimes. Um, I don't know, but I do know that it is amazing to me how, sorry, I don't know why that little siren keeps going off. It's um, emails coming in. I I was so careful to turn off every sound. <laughs> so, yeah, it's okay. We don't hear it on our side. Okay, good. That good. helps. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what was I saying? Um, I think that there are a lot of lessons in historical fiction, in historical romance, just in history in general, that are still relevant today because we're all sort of experiencing on an emotional level very similar things. Um, searching for identity, um, connections uh, in romance, in friendship, um, women who want sort of autonomy to be themselves, to um, to have an identity outside of just who they're married to and, who, and having children. I think those things are, are similar that what women have always been struggling with. We have more options now. We, um, we're not constrained by the same things as women were, or at least well-to-do women in the Victorian era. Working mm -hmm. class women have always been able to, to an extent, you know, go out and work and sort of have a degree of independence. But um, I hope that that gives us a connectedness to the past yeah. and that it shows us, um, I don't know, just, just how much we have in common uh, with each other and um, just as human beings, because so many things just repeat over time um it's really amazing to see all the similarities there are right yeah i i completely agree with that and in, in it like it just makes things feel kind of cyclical in a way you know exactly. you just you see yes. things happen again and again and you see people 
overcome things. You see people succumb to things, Mm -hmm. but in the end, it's really about kind of the connections we all make with each other and also kind of self-discovery and, and how you adhere and overcome certain, certain things. So yeah, I love that answer. Um, I'm wondering who are some of your historical, some are some of your favorite historical romance or historical fiction authors um, that you kind of turn to when you need a good read? So probably right up there, I'm going to say right out the gate, Lisa Kleypas, because I think that her books are so vivid and just so emotional that I, I really love them. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think Evie Dunmore is really just coming up fast because her books are of such good quality. You know, it's the research and the romance together Mm -hmm. and not letting the research overshadow the romance, which I think can be a a trick. If you do a lot of research, you want to put it all in your story. (laughs) And sometimes you're like, yeah, maybe they don't need to hear about that. (laughs) Maybe that has no purpose in this story. Um, Harper St. George, um, her new books, The Devil and the Heiress, and um, The Heiress Gets a Duke, those are amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see, I just recently read um, Susan Elaine's Miss Lattimore's Letter, which I really, really enjoyed. It it was like Regency, it was just perfect. It really hit the spot, what I needed. Um, Almost like when you watch the, was it 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice, it gives you sort of this nice you just have such a nice feeling when you're watching yeah. that's the feeling mm-hmm. I got from her book and the other book I read recently which I loved um and it doesn't come out till February is Jane in the Year Without a Summer by Stephanie Barron cool. oh my gosh that was that was so good and it was a mystery that kept me guessing and usually mm-hmm. mysteries unless it's like Agatha Christie I always guess it like very fast uh, yeah. this one I wasn't sure it kept me guessing which I really oh. liked yeah, but, great. Yeah, those are some of my favorites recently. Cool. Yeah, those are great that. recs. Yeah. yeah, those are some great recs. Um, well, another thing that we love to talk about on the podcast is, uh, and we especially love to ask our guests, is what's bringing us joy and comfort recently. Um, this can be anything from a new recipe for a, to, to a favorite show or anything that's kind of just popping in your head that's brought you a little bit of joy recently. What is something that has brought you comfort and joy? I have a new puppy. <gasps> oh, uh, tell us more. Well, his name, his name is Jet. He's a black mini poodle and he came in the summer. So he's right now, he's just almost nine months old. He was supposed to be a comforter, you know, like a lap dog. Mm -hmm. He is not that way. He is actually um, very aggressive. Oh no. (laughs) Um, Not in a bad way, but like he is definitely an alpha little dog. Um, And so right now he's going through a biting phase and not out of aggression. Again, he wants to play all the time and he play bites. When you pet him, he'll suddenly just start going. (laughs) And it's like, okay, but it, it is um, my pets give me so much comfort. They are a lot of work, but I don't know what I do without them. I love that. Yeah. They're worth it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That's awesome. So if you can, can you tell us what readers can expect from you next? Yes. So I just turned in the final draft of book two in my Bells of London series. It's called The Bell of Belgrave Square. And it's about a character from Siren of Sussex named Julia Witchwood, who is a bookworm, would rather stay in bed and read than go to a ball. Also stay in bed and read with chocolate 
and essential. Relatable. Um, <laughs> very, I know. I thought, is this just me? Is this an autobiography? <laughs> and she meets Captain Lunt, who is a scarred, um, gruff, um, notorious hero of the Crimea, though people call him that um, a little bit wryly because he has a dangerous reputation. And he has set his sights on her and her dowry. And uh, he is a lot like a hero in one of her novels, in one of her gothic novels she likes reading. So she's frightened of him, but also very intrigued. And yeah. um, so this is sort of like my marriage of convenience, um, grumpy sunshine, opposites attract, um, also sort of secret identities romance, um, inspired a little bit by Beauty and the Beast and by Bluebeard's uh, wife the fairy tale yeah. um it was so much fun to write and um probably a little less historically intense than siren of sussex i don't know if intense is the right word but but it's a little <laughs> more um it's it's just fun and i had a lot of fun talking of having the characters uh discuss novels and novel reading and some of the crazy Victorian views they had on novel reading back okay. then, which were very entertaining. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully, hopefully readers will like it. <laughs> oh man, that sounds great. Well, Mimi, before we say uh, goodbye to you, where can readers connect with you online? I'm on Twitter at Mimi Matthews Esquire. Um, I'm on Facebook and I think that's Mimi Matthews author. And I just joined Instagram a few months ago. And that is, I think that's Mimi Matthews Esquire as well. Um, and I try to post regularly, but probably not as much as I should. Um, sometimes I share, I share quotes and things about research. Um, hopefully people don't think it's just my quotes because it usually <laughs> is something crazy. <laughs> like, why does she say this? Does right. she really think right. novel reading is like gin drinking? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, this has been so much fun. And we will, of course, link in our show notes to where you can get the book and where you can, all the places that you mentioned, Mimi. So, but thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a treat. Thank, thank you so you. much for having me. It was so much fun. And we are back. Um, I love that Mimi convinced us that we should start wearing corsets. <laughs> I was so surprised when she was like, corsets, easy. Yeah. Easy, easy. <laughs> we were like, what? <laughs> well, okay. Sure. Makes, yeah, cool. Okay. We'll, we'll all sit up straighter, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know. As I'm like hunched down. I'm in my armadillo pose. It's fine. Wear my yeah. corset. We'll all be up here. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about our goals. So your goal from last episode was to enjoy the next two weeks of traveling. How did you do? Um, I did. I enjoyed them. I had a good time with my parents uh, and seeing some friends while we were there. I didn't really, I was not like necessarily keeping my trip a secret, but I knew yeah. that I only had so much time to see people. So I was like, let's just not tell everybody. Yeah. Um, so it was good. I got to go and have afternoon tea with, uh, nice. with the, with the book club and see everyone. So I was just really happy I got to do that and spend time with my parents' dog. Cause she's yeah. adorable. She and I were watching TVs together. Fun. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And how are, <laughs> how are book two revisions going? Yes. My book two revisions, the first round, cause I'm sure there will be more. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, I did 
finish them. I'm letting them sit. I sent it to my mom to read. <laughs> um, and, and then my husband, they're like my first, because it's like my mom knows romance. And then my husband will just tell me when something doesn't make sense. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> like mm-hmm. very agree. Like he'll be like, I don't understand. I'll be like, I need to fix that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they are reading that. So yeah, I'm going to let that sit. And then once I get their feedback, I will go through it like one more time and then I will send it off to my editor and hopefully not have to think about it for at least a couple of months. <laughs> Cause yeah, that was a lot, but it was, it was good to do. It definitely, I think worked with, I, I hope it is what my editor was looking for. So we will see, we'll, we'll find see. out. Yeah. It's <laughs> time to work on book three. I know. Yeah. It's a lot. It's ongoing. I mean, you just have to keep doing it. So absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You okay. What, stories in you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what is your new goal? Okay. So my new goal is to set up my weekly spread in my journal on Sundays to take like 30 minutes on a Sunday to like at least brain dump and figure out what my week is going to look like so that I, um, feel like a little sense. I mean, not like a lot, like sense of control, but just know what's going on, not being surprised Mm -hmm. by anything. That's, I'm just going to do that for a couple of weeks and feel a bit more centered. I think I do that. I do every Sunday. I like Mm -hmm. sit down, hopefully like some, I try to do it during the daytime because if I wait too long, then I'm just tired and I rush through it and then I Mm -hmm. forget things. Uh So yeah, but, uh, I agree. I love this. Yeah. I think that'll be really fun. Yeah. What Um, about you? What's your new school? Yeah. My new goal, like speaking of like book three and all of that, but I kind of want to think of a writing schedule, Mm -hmm. I think for like the first half of 2022, Um, I don't know, like, you know, I've said this before. I don't really know the exact pub date of my second book. I'm assuming it'll be like a year ish or so, or less slightly less than, but I definitely want to think of like, what's beyond that. Um, cause I have written what will hopefully be the third book, which is not under contract. I should put that out there as well. So that, but that, so that means I need to like get it into a a place. My agent has seen most of it. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, we're working through that as well. Um, But then like also just having kind of a plan of like what I want to continue writing about. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Which I, I have ideas and I have written some like very messy, short, but drafts of things. And so like kind of getting that in, to a schedule and like yeah. figuring out what that is going to be. And so hopefully I can do that. And yeah, and kind of maybe not quite the first, like not like all the way to June, but like through the spring and, yeah. and see if I can stick to that. I love that. <laughs> so, and like, yeah. or even also like adding a spreadsheet of all of your different like story storylines that you're interested in. Yeah, exactly. Eventually. Yeah. Yep. Got, yeah, definitely have some of that going that. on. Cool. Yeah. Cool. That's going to be exciting. All right. Well, let's jump into our comforts because I feel like with all of these goals and intentions for 2022, we have to have something to reward ourselves with when we achieve our goals. What has been bringing you some comfort this week? Okay. So it's super cold in Illinois. Like yesterday, it was was like, yesterday, it wasn't that cold. The day before it was like seven degrees. I saw that. I was like, it is yeah. And there. it was, and then it was so, but then the wind chill, it was like negative four yeah. during the daytime. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rude. and then yesterday, like yesterday afternoon, it decided to rain and snow, <laughs> even though it was only like 25 degrees outside. And so the ground was frozen mm-hmm. and then it, but somehow it was raining 
<laughs> so this morning I like looked outside and I was like, oh, our driveway is an ice skating rink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I told, I was like, Zach, you have to go outside and put salt down because I will fall and break something if I go out there because I'm a klutz. Yep, yep. So, and so he did. And I'm like looking outside, it looks like it looks marginally better on our driveway. Um, but we'll see. Um, and yeah, it, it's, but it's supposed, it's supposed to be like in the thirties, I think today or almost 30, but then tomorrow, the first day of going back to school, it's supposed to be like 10 degrees again. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Anyway, the point of all of this <laughs> is that I'm going insane over hand cream. You all know, I love hand cream, but the one I have that I've been turning to the most is soap and glory's hand food, hand cream. I love the name of that so much. I know it's so great. And you can get it at target. You can get it at Amazon. I think you can get it other places like Ulta or whatever. It smells really nice. I don't know. It says it's, oh, it says it's rose and bergamot. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, it's a really good hand cream. Like if you need something particularly in the winter, I recommend creamy. Yeah. But it's also not so much that you can't like do anything, you know, like sometimes they're a little too, you know, it's a whole thing. Too greasy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good, it's a really good feeling. So, yeah. <laughs> well, my comfort is a weird one because it is okay. a, it's a TV show about yeah. uh, a, a team of girls soccer players in high school whose plane goes down in the Canadian Rockies yeah. and they uh, are left to survive and fend for themselves and may or may <laughs> not turn to some slight to a very heavy cannibalism. I wasn't even going to say light. <laughs> I can't even say light cannibalism. It's straight up hunter gather eat them. Yeah. Um, I have not seen that yet. I've only seen eight episodes, but yeah. yet to see some cannibalism, but I know it's coming. Oh my gosh. Um, I love this show so much. The writing is great because the, the part with the teen girls, when they're on, like on the Island, that part is like Lord of the flies meets alive, mm-hmm. very contentious. Cause it's a whole bunch of girls, 16 year olds, 17 year olds that are just like hormonal and angry and like trying mm-hmm. to survive. And then you fast forward 25 years and they're the survivors are alive and they are trying to solve like a murder mystery. So you've got like a little bit of like a thriller on that end. And then this sort of survivalist story on the other side, it's just so good. It's wait, delightful. did you even, did you say what this is called? Oh, Yellow jackets. Did I say yellow? No, jackets? It's called I don't yellow think you jackets. Did. <laughs> it's called yellow jackets. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Yeah. I so I have not watched this, but I have not. Everyone is talking about. Everyone's talking about it. I don't have. It's on Showtime. It's on Showtime. Yeah, yep, I don't have Showtime, but I do want to watch it. Um, I hear it's great. It's good, and I will say it is a little gross, but it's not. Yeah. It's not as like horror heavy as I expected it to be. I was really kind of leaning, expecting it to be more like a, like the purge or American horror Mm -hmm. story. And it's not like it, it has American horror story vibes in the same sense. Like their, uh, their opening credits are very similar with different hints and clues that are in there. Okay, cool. But like, yeah, it's not as scary as that, which is why I'm like, you might actually really like it. I think or I just really want everybody I know to watch it. So I have people to talk to. I've heard really great things. And also pop culture happy hour last week did an episode on it. And so, and I will say they do, I can't remember how many episodes they had seen at the time of their recording, but they do get kind of spoilery is just, mm-hmm. just a fair warning. Cause I do, I want to link to it because they had a really interesting conversation about it, but also like, can we talk about the adult cast? 
yeah. of everyone. I mean, Christina Amazing. Ricci and Juliette Lewis, just so great. Melanie Linsky. Yeah. Oh, she's so fantastic. So like, good. Yeah. Christina Ricci's character, Misty, is she's me. <laughs> I just love her so much. <laughs> she's she's like a, a friend who just is like trying so hard, but really has the best intentions, but is also a psycho. Like I <laughs> love her. I might cut, I might cut my hair similar to her wig in that, oh my God. in that show. Yeah. I'm obsessed. I am yeah. obsessed with Christina Ricci and that she's just so good. Every, yeah. all of the adult performers on the show are just wonderful to watch and heartbreaking. And yeah. like, I'm going to be so sad in two weeks when the show's over. I know, but I, I think they have announced a second season. I yeah. think, or if not, I mean, it's, it's, it's happening eminent, because yeah, yeah. It, people can't shut up about the show. Awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. I'll have to figure out how <laughs> you get <laughs> oh your, after God. it's done. I'll tell you, I was going to tell everybody after it finishes in two weeks, you get your two week yeah. showtime free trial. trial and you yeah. Watch and it all. Watch it all. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we've gone through everything. We did it all. This was fun. So as always, you can follow us on all the socials. You can follow Fresh Fiction at Fresh Fiction. You can follow me at D Jackson Books. I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And where can people find you, Gwen? You can get me at Real Vixen, also mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. And if you have any feedback or questions or suggestions or anything, really, you can just email us directly and you can just send those to me, Danielle at freshfiction.com. Please subscribe and follow, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. And we will talk to you all soon. Yep. Bye, y'all.